Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. Today, it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome my good friend. Welcome back, Fuquan Bilal. Hi, Fuquan. It's a pleasure to be back. What's going on, Big Mike? <laughs> Thank you, Fuquan. I appreciate you coming back. You hail from the, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you call New Jersey sunny. I guess <laughs> sunny New Jersey, maybe cold New Jersey. Cut it out. We're right across the bridge from you. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's nice and cold, I guess. That's what New York has been has been the weather has been weird this winter. I mean, every year, every yeah. winter, it's kind of weird. Not enough snow, feels too cold. I don't know, strange. The we winter. definitely need more snow. I got to get out with snowboarding with my boys, so I need more snow. Yeah, some folks. Uh, um, I don't know. We've seen a lot of cold, but not enough uh, snow. But unless you go to like Boston area. We, we were at the ice skating competition. They always get snow. We don't get it here in New York, New Jersey as much. Anyway, what's new in the world of Fuquan? What's been going on? Um, and how's family? How are your boys? Uh, you, got, you got two wonderful boys. Uh, they are active in sports. Just a couple of words about what's happening with the family, and then let's dive into business. Yeah, family is good, man. It's I'm blessed, right? So I got you know, two boys, as you remember, you know, talking about it forever. One is a young man, 21 years old, and the other is a, a young adult, 15 years old. So, you know, going through fatherhood, that's, I think, the biggest challenge of my life, learning how to be the best father I can be, learning mistakes by raising them. <laughs> so it's learning patience, which is important. It's a different patience with kids than with business, right? Tremendously yeah. different. But yeah, family is good. Um, you know, we're actually planning a trip to go to Egypt. Um, this uh, Easter, I believe. Yeah, this Easter, I believe. Want to put a winter, put a spring break. That's awesome. Enjoy. That should be a fun trip. Yeah. As far as business, um, you know what I can say is, as you know, we we've been navigating the narrows, going through these turbulent times. Um, things are challenging on a raising capital forefront. Investors are still afraid, sitting on the sideline. Um, you know, we have some investors with redemptions. You and I spoke about that a few weeks ago because they're just not educated and they don't understand what's happening in the marketplace. And they listen to the macro news instead of what's happening in the marketplaces uh, sponsors are investing. Right. I was actually talking to someone the other day and they were telling me that, um, you know, rents are down. Right. They saw something that said rents are down. And I'm like, I don't, I'm investing in making multifamily, it's booming, right? We're getting people who we can't keep, we don't even have enough turns that we can do to keep people from leasing up. So I think people should uh, really understand what's happening on the local level instead of the macro level before they just take that general assumption of what's happening in the real estate market over wide. That could be with fix and flips or multifamily. As you, we discussed last time, you know, our fund has uh, two verticals we're focusing on right now. One is fix and flips in New Jersey, where I've been investing for the last you know, 24 years. The market is still strong. Uh, people are not lining up in size order like they did a year ago, you know, to get properties, but things are not selling below list. Uh, we're still strong at list price. Instead of going on the contract, actually, I just listed one on the con on the on the market of uh, last Saturday and I went on the contract yesterday. So, you know, 
30 days, 45 days the most. The longest I've seen, because I do a lot of high-end stuff, the longest I've seen something go on the contract was 65 days. And you're talking a, a $1.5 million house. So um, those tend to take a little longer than a small six, $400,000, $600,000 house. So that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, I guess I got spoiled. A lot of us got spoiled with things moving fast with the wind in our backs. And um, now we're sucking up the wind <laughs> and trying to mitigate things. So that's it. I mean, it's the challenges are great because they make you think out of the box and become more creative. An example of that, Mike, is a multifamily deal we're doing in Macon. We looked at agency debt. We looked at um, long-term debt with HUD, which has the best rates. And we just wound up coming up with a strategic solution on assuming the mortgage and, and buying the LLC, right? So that way, all of the cost stays in place as if it never happened, taxes, insurance, things like that. So we had to become more creative because of where the market is at, right? So, you know, go ahead, you have a question. Let's dive into that. Before we do that, I'll just add a couple of comments to what you said, because uh, you shared some really important wisdoms. And one wisdom was that every market is local. So... Mm -hmm. When you hear something about something happening in Houston or Phoenix, that that's not New Jersey. It's different, and and every every market is different. Very very important to understand for folks in real estate that they have to understand it by market by market, operator by operator, strategy by strategy. It's all different, so you can't generalize. And we've seen the same story. People, because if you run an open ended fund, you say, well, they had one comment. Uh, when folks are having problems somewhere else. Uh, and they can't get their liquidity somewhere else or a problem with another project. Where do they run? They run to an yeah. open ended fund. Mm -hmm. They say, hey, give me a redemption because you have a redemption mechanism. Other folks don't. So it's something to keep in mind that um, global environment or ma macro environment impacts us all. Uh, but folks' decisions should, should be made, obviously, based on individual uh, investments. And whenever folks invest in, in real estate, maybe a fund or uh, syndication or individual property, Real estate is a long-term, slow investment. So anytime people want to think of it, this is uh, access to cash. That's not the place. Access to cash is in the bank, maybe infinite banking policy, whatnot. So something to keep in mind that when folks write a check into real estate, they got to have a long-term uh, perspective through the cycles. Because we're going through a cycle, no question about this. And then you obviously talked about um, Prices not residential real estate not softening, but market uh, timing, time to sell, or, or uh, is 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 increased. Obviously, we're dealing with a high interest rate environment, which has made it more difficult versus a couple of years ago. But let's go back to the all the stuff you, you said is really really good. Uh, but let's talk about creative finance. So I'm just curious, instead of getting a fresh Fannie Mae, Freddie, or Todd, um, or any other debt, you're going with a symbol. Assumable has all kinds of interesting benefits, um, but let, let's talk about the transaction. So yeah, this one in particular is a is a five point two percent interest rate that's good for about three years, right? Um, it's uh, you know six point two something million in debt that's still on a property. The property is ninety eight percent occupied. It's only one vacant unit out of one hundred and forty two million units. Is a 8.2% cap rate. And, and so where's the property? New Jersey? Is it Macon? Macon, Georgia. Macon, Georgia. Oh, a lot of all of our rentals we buy in the Southeast. We divested our rental portfolio in New and Jersey. Is it because like of a better environment to evict 
or is this just i'm just curious why well better environment you're, overall, you're right? investing in georgia i'm just curious why better environment overall right so um landlord friendly number one which is what you need right, to, to evict faster. And, and the New Jersey is a tenant-friendly state. Yeah. Well, not only that, it's it's less expensive, right? New Jersey and New York, it snows all the time. You have that added expense for cleanup and everything else. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for growth in those markets where rents haven't peaked uh, yet. Uh, there's a, a, a big, huge opportunity, which is near and dear to me, for us to do our impact project. So um, as you know, I come from a low-income area and one of the mission, part of the mission of our fund is providing quality housing. And our BHAG, our big area audacious goal is to provide quality housing for five, quality affordable housing for low income families, 5,000 families to be exact. That's our BHAG. So, um, you know, we're working on that. And to be able to serve that community is great. That C plus B class areas, uh, maybe 1974 to maybe 1985 build somewhere around there. Um, that house that type of community and the best part about it is we get to mix the community with battered women and children section eight uh behavior health um re uh, residents to be in that community uh with you know uh the cash paying tenants so having that mixture is great because we can try to solve some of the affordable housing problem by keeping a percentage of those communities with that type of resident and then the rest is fair, fair game, right? We can raise rents to the roof, rubs and everything else. Um, so that's our, our project, but that's why the Southeast, because we can do our impact project on a scale. Whereas New Jersey, we were doing smaller, four families, six family, and it takes a long time to scale up and you have properties all over the place. And when it snows, you got to send a team out to shovel 150 properties. You know, that may be 500 units for 150 different locations. So yeah. <laughs> Geographically, it makes sense to do it in the Southeast to take down a 40-unit building, a 100-unit building, a 60-unit building. Um, so that's kind of where we see the opportunity at, uh, especially in markets where there's a lot of uh, new developments coming, new businesses coming. Coca-Cola is putting $50, um, you know, $50 million. The mayor's cleaning up the city of homelessness. There's a lot of great things happening in making. So... Yeah, I appreciate that explanation. So the reason makes 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 good sense. Uh, obviously, you have a BHAG and a good mission uh, to help folks with uh, nice apartments, affordable. Obviously, the key word. Um, so, how do you? Let's go back to the, uh, I guess, subject two or assumable loan. Uh, so, what what are you buying the property for, uh, and what the lo assumable loan is is that? Uh, yeah, it's a ten million dollar buy. Obviously, it's it's a healthy rate, better than you can get today. Absolutely, it's a ten million dollar buy, a six point two million dollar single mortgage, uh, and we were looking at insurance costs, as you know, over the last couple of years, double, triple, right? So you know, went from three hundred a door to a thousand a door. You know, this is insane. Taxes. Hey, how, how are you dealing with this? Because this is this is an industry wide problem. It, it's it's incredibly pain point. And um, uh, it's it's a significant significant growth in expense per door per year, so that and the insurance companies are not likely rolling this stuff back. So your cash flows are going to suffer a lot. Your NOI is going to suffer a lot, and uh, you know you could you don't have too many options. Many insurance companies pulled out. This is this is the this is the terrible part. It's almost like a tidal wave that hit the entire industry 
I don't know insurance companies had uh, losses or what, but in what enabled them to do it? They just kind of all got together. It's like a cartel, like they, they yeah. actually cartel, like a drug cartel. <laughs> hey, we're going to increase the price for the insurance altogether. And then they jacked it up. Some markets is like a double and triple. Some markets 30, 40%. Correct. So that is what makes you think out of the box when you're in a market like this. And purchasing the existing LLC that owns and operate the building allow you to do the transaction as if everything is still in place. Right. Nothing changes with insurance. Nothing changes with the vendors, you know, unless you choose to get in there and start, you know, getting better vendors or whatever. You're just stepping in the shoes of the current owner. But of course, you have to do diligence uh, on the LLC you're purchasing and everything else. So that's the that's biggest the part risk that... existing litigation, existing liabilities. You just got to make Correct. sure that they are not, you're not buying a cat in the bag with other problems. Right. Yeah, most of these are single single member uh, entities that the owns the building. It's not anything that is tied into it. So you have to make sure the members of that single member entity doesn't have any any issues, and you'll just assign over the membership interest over to another entity. I mean, it's a simple process, but it's due, due, the due diligence behind the entity, which is you know an arduous process. So you get the SEC attorneys involved; they'll do the due diligence and pretty much go from there. So you're buying the Propco LLC. So normally, most of the deals are structured. You have investor entities and all that stuff above it, but you're not buying any of that. You're just buying the entity that owns the asset itself. Correct. That's it. Okay. And everything um, stays in place. Yeah, it makes sense. You don't have reassessment of taxes. As far as the the world out there, they, they can't see that this entity, you know, the owner changed hands. They they can't. You know, it's not, not obvious or transparent. So. Uh, just a couple of questions. So when you take an assumable mortgage, does the bank underwrite you? Just you just go through a process where the bank has to review who is buying it? Because it's assumable, right? So there's an underwriting process on that. Correct. It's a full underwriting process, net worth, all that stuff, personal financial statement, everything. The same way as if you would go through a, an agency debt. But it's a, it's a quicker process because it's actually the building, right, that they're looking at. What is the building producing? Because it's it's not a um, personal guarantee loan, right? So yeah, it's a non-recourse. Yeah, it's a yeah, lot easier for them. They yeah. still want certain characteristics yeah. of new owners, but it's the building. They just going to run any bankruptcy. They're standard stuff. They run, you know, through. So um, once you get all green to go on that, then you're good, right? It's just the logistics of the um, the org charts and the operating agreements and how everything flows and you know what's the equity, where is it coming from? All that diligence they do. Um, and if this is like a CM, CMBS loan, I think it's a CMBS loan, it's, it takes a little bit longer, right? It has the defeasing clause and all the other stuff, you know, it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, understood. So let me ask you this question. Um, when I think of the purchase uh, subject of the existing loan, that that's, you, you're buying an asset. That, that loan is better than what you can get out there. So from that perspective, that, that's a good product. Now you're doing about 62% leverage. You're buying 10 million. The loan six point two, and by the way, the property appraised for eleven five. That's wonderful, right? So, from that perspective, of course, you you you're meeting the LTV requirement. Uh, also, at that level of leverage, you should be able to meet that that service coverage ratio without a problem either, especially if you have a loan from a few years ago. Um, but the other question that I had is: um, Are you getting really legitimately a good deal? Because 
the way I think of this is if you had to bring your own cash, uh, you would be you would have to borrow uh, fresh money at a higher rate. You'd be looking for a better deal, or am I wrong? Uh, in other words, uh, how do you get a really good deal and a silver loan? Because basically, it feels okay. A silver loan, the, the deal has to be so so. I mean, I just just kind of thinking, being devil's advocate here. Yeah, the the deal is actually great because there's still a lot of meat in the bone. There is. Uh, there were 20 down units, but they have them all up and running. They leased them all up at $950 a month, where the prior two bedrooms were at $750. So that gives us a target of where we can go. There's a lot of lease renewals coming up. There's still about uh, 120 units that, as they lease renewal come, will turn, increase rents, and go from there. So, and housing just renewed their, their agreement with rents compared to, comparable to market rate. So all of those uh, affordable home uh, residents will go through housing, which captures market rent, which is amazing, right? So now you get to have affordable quality housing and capture market rent, which is a win-win. So there's still a, a substantial amount of units that need to adjust and also need to um, catch up with the rubs. So I think the last time we checked, it was 70% of the total occupancy uh, initiated with rubs. So that's going to be a big revenue driver as well. Um, and it, I mean, it's doing I think 110000 a month in revenue. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a unicorn, actually, to be honest with you. It's rare that you'll see a deal, a great deal, as you say, um, in this marketplace that's occupied. And... I believe the reason why is because of the relationship with the seller that we've created. I purchased a prior unit from them uh, a few years ago. Um, and we closed actually the day we were in uh, we were in Manhattan doing an event for um, the Australian group. And we had just closed on that. And we had to eat dog food. That's where I got the term from you. He was like, you got to eat dog food? <laughs> we had to fund it ourselves. So... We did that and we created a good relationship with the seller because we did what we say we was going to do. And this is the last deal they have and we we're going to be excited to close it. But I've looked at so many other deals, Mike, and I haven't really seen the opportunity um, that we need to make it a great deal. I've seen good deals, but not a great deal. So how do you know what's a good deal? What's a great deal? And the reason I'm asking this is, is this. so we've seen very slow transaction volume. The last, I don't know, 23 has been very slow. So everybody's concerned with the much higher interest rates, what it has done to the market. Um, but the bid and asks kind of widened and transactions not taking place. The sellers generally don't capitulate, especially situation like yours where they got a fixed rate mortgage. The mortgage is not maturing. The property's got good cash flows. And it feels like the seller doesn't have a big motivation to sell. Of course, you have your relationship uh, with them. Uh, you're able to, you know, maybe they have certain circumstances. Did they have other circumstances unrelated to the property that they 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 have to sell? Because it, it's almost like this: if you don't have a motivated seller, why did would they give you a nice discount? I mean, yeah. I see the situation. He's tired. The seller, the seller's ready to cash out. He's he's owned three thousand doors they're making, and over the last seven years he's liquidated and the last two i was actually able to get from him um, he owns about 30 acres in atlanta where he has cabins hiking horseback riding uh, atvs that's his dream 
right? Actually, when he closed on his deal, he's going to take his son hiking in the, um, I think it's the Appalachian Mountains or something. He said he's going to go away for six months. So he's, you know, one of those type of guys that been there, done that, been around the block a few times and just ready to hang it up. Played the multifamily game, did very well, uh, been in the business since the 70s and, you know, is letting go. Yeah, it's a, it's a retiring story. So there's other motivation. It's not not yeah. to maximize every dollar, but yeah. okay. That, that, so I, I will uh, acknowledge that that that's what you wanted to hear. You wanted to hear property do good, doing good motivation from the seller from something else. It's either seller divorce, death in the family, or ready to retire or some life event, which is yeah, it sounds absolutely like a potentially really good driver for for the seller to just tell motivation to exit, and then and, and you're able to pick up a decent deal. By the way, interestingly enough, depending on the article, some folks talk about these properties that are not in deep distress, but they are actually decent and performing. Just got to find seller motivation. Seller motivations obviously varied. One of the biggest motivation that kind of exists out there today, if the property is good, but the asset itself borrowed floating rate debt, and then they're dealing with the mortgage reset. Uh, the other story I've seen, um, perfectly good assets. I'm not sure if you, you know, it becomes an opportunity too, where the seller doesn't have a big motivation other than they have a maturity cliff. <laughs> They borrowed yeah. five years ago. Yeah. The loan yeah. is maturing or the loan is just, they just, you know, and today you just can't, uh, it's a 4% loan that has to renew at seven. It's just, it's just the financial yeah. motivation, not the asset motivation. Yeah. We've been seeing a lot of the floating, floating rate scenario where they're just getting choked and it's not any cash flow at all. They're putting in money to make the deal work to pay the bank. And they're just, I mean, I've seen a deal go come out at 90 a door to, 70 a door to just recently the guy was like we'll take 63 and i'm like this is the 55 a door deal what do you mean he's like come on <laughs> you sent me an loi two months ago for 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 60 for 61 a door and i go that was two months ago it's different now it's 55 a door let me know is the market correcting right now it's columbus it's columbus it's columbus but i I'm, i don't have the capacity to do the deal I'm just pushing them to see where I can get them at to see if they're going to jump because no one else is interested. I'm going, why is no one else interested in this property? Right. I mean, we, we didn't do the boots on the ground with diligence. We just underwrote it. And then we came out at, you know, this is 61 a deal, but maybe when we get out there and start due diligence and maybe something else, uh, it has the occupancy is only 78% uh, occupancy. And we really been trying to focus on great deals, getting back to that to me, a great deal is something that is 90% or more occupied that has great opportunity for us to um, do some CapEx to increase the value of the property. And if we can't find that, then it's like, what's the use, right? Because we don't want to get temporary financing. We don't get, we want to get bridge debt. So at this point, at this point, you're avoiding bridge debt. Yeah, you, you would rather have permanent financing. Unless they're going to do owner financing for a term, right? So if I can find something that is less than 90% and there's some owner financing involved with a fixed rate, then it's a good, it's a great deal. Right? Bridge because, debt is a lot more expensive. Bridge debt is tied to software plus an offset versus correct. the, um, correct. yeah. So owner not, financing at, you know, at six and a half percent. Yeah. Owner financing at six, six and a half percent. I'll buy a cost. I'll, I'll give them a price because they're giving me terms. We'll buy on terms, you know, the Eddie Speedway. We'll, we'll do it that way. We'll meet them where they are because they're essentially becoming an investor. 
and that gives us time. It has to be a minimum of three years with that same rate interest only to give us time to go in and do what we need to do, increase the occupancy and take them out with the HUD loan or, you know, Fannie, Freddie, you know, some agency debt. And it's a great deal if you can do that, right? But a lot of sellers need the money, especially if they have um, the situation where the floating debt is choking them. They just need to sell it, get rid of it. Yeah, and I appreciate your wisdom here. Very interesting perspective. I I didn't expect if you're getting a good deal, you 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 got to be prepared to borrow some bridge debt and deal with renovations. And this is a standard practice. A few years ago, you borrow bridge, uh, and that was the normal procedure because the interest rates were low. Now the interest rates are high, so the bridge debt is very painful and expensive, and that's why you're trying to avoid this bridge date. They it's not the bridge uh, debt. By itself, it's the it's the rates that are available in that sector, yeah. and that's why you you need the occupancy to be high up there to be able to get some kind of permanent financing. Otherwise, the property wouldn't qualify. Absolutely. Well, you just can assume the loan and, and put the seller in a prep situation and give them some interest, let them eat, you know, make some passive income while you're executing your plan, and you just raise, you know, the rest for your capex, and you know, you go from there. No, for what I love it. This is a very, it's an important, let's just call it um, investment thesis. Like for this year, we, you know, we're all developing investment thesis. A lot of what we're doing today, we are launching a fund focused on providing mass debt, rescue capital, some of these challenging situations. It's a thesis, right? We know these problem situations. You have buy box, you buy thesis, your, your, your ideal scenario. If you want to avoid those situations where you got to go borrow floating rate debt and stick it's, it's a it's a very valid philosophy it's a it's a different buy box and that stuff that doesn't fit that buy box is just going to pass because it's just it, it's not for you for somebody else it may be so it's kind of interesting but we do see there's a lot of deals in the 75 80 85 percent occupancy they do need further property improvement leasing some innovations and they can do they can do well because they have a lot of units to lease up, right? They, they have the NOI is 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 weak because of of, of the current um, economics, but it's not that you want to be dealing with. You want to be dealing with more or less stabilized properties with the upside on the rent side and agency debt. It's a very different. I actually appreciate this because it's 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 a different perspective than some of the other folks, which is yeah. Uh, I mean, this market has you think outside more conservative the approach. I would say. Yeah, this market gets you to think outside the box. It's always, as a sponsor, you're thinking of what's the safest way that I can navigate this deal to protect um, the investors. I mean, we were at a conference a few weeks ago where they did the diagram and they did the center, the outer box, and the outer box. And they talk about, you know, when you're looking at a deal, what are you what are you looking at to make sure that you you can do this deal? First of all, it's good. It's the deal, then it's the investor, then it's you last as the sponsor. Remember that. So when you're looking at a deal, you're looking at it from, from that view. And even with investors, right, what I'm seeing is that some investors are still drunk off yield. They're still chasing who has the highest prep, right? Who has this, who has that, right? Whereas two sides is a debt market is not equity. So in the, in the debt market, if they go into a debt fund or whatever, they're looking at, okay, is there liquidity? Um, what's the highest rate? What's the term, right? And I want to go on liquidity, highest rate, short term. But what they, what they fail to realize, and we've had this conversations before, when it comes to liquidity, liquidity is only good when you have it, right? So if someone wants to put it for redemption and you have to trigger 
to sell an asset to get that liquidity, they have to wait. And some people don't understand it. Even though it's written in the PPO, they don't understand that. So those are some challenges that um, some sponsors are having in this marketplace also. So we always like to try to forecast and look ahead and make a pivot before things happen. And one of the things that we're doing actually is we're changing the structure of our um, investment vehicle with, where we're just going to go to, instead of multiple classes, one class. We're going to turn off the faucet on these different classes we have, turn in a new faucet of a, maybe a 10% or whatever it is, right? Um, and basically give a longer term because we're looking at, we're gearing up for those great opportunities and we need to have the money for a longer period of time, right? So we're only looking for investors. We're looking to align ourselves with our long-term vision, not what they're going to get out of it for short term. Now I understand everybody has different dynamics in their portfolio. They may have lost money over here, here and there, but we're setting ourselves up for success for what's to come, right? So maybe interest rates go down. It gives us the, the fix and flip market is, booming more than what it is here in North Jersey. You know, we have more opportunity to buy, but we find a multifamily deal. We need the money for a longer term period hold. So we're just being mindful of that and just trying to attract the investor that fits into that box, that believe in our vision, part of the mission, and they have a, a long-term uh, vision to invest. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, just had another call um in the same conversation that you don't want to take all money. You just want to take the right money with the right from right investors that you are right for them and they're right for you. And they have to be very good alignment between what you're trying to accomplish and what investors expect. Because if they expect to get out in two years and you're trying to buy an asset for a five-year timeline, it's a misalignment. And many folks, again, like we talked, they don't understand. They think you you had a redemption clause after two years. They think they just press the button and hit, you know, it's not a sell, uh, a stock on a, on, a, on a liquid market. Real estate is not liquid. And if you have to sell in a wrong market, it's a mission impossible. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And not only that, it's also philosophical, understanding what people want, what they expect. They want passive income, but they don't need the immediate ability to exit and all these issues, by the way, they surface. It's kind of funny how it works. When the markets are stable for a long period of time, things work really well. And um, markets got shocked. I mean, they got shocked and destabilized with the uh, COVID, which was a Black Swan event. Then helicopter money, the government obviously keeping uh, the economy rolling and throwing way too much money into the system. Uh, they overdid it. They caused massive inflation. And then this inflation uh, forced the Fed to wake up and uh, they just sort of went very aggressive. And as a result, they shocked the system. So when the system shock happens, a lot of things change fast and people, investors, including they're adjusting to what's just happened. And then what used to work, again, normal redemption uh, process, subscription redemption, uh, exits all worked because there were never these shock events. So the systems break when they're designed for long-term hold, steady, predictable, and then suddenly they're now dealing with a, a shock. And that's that's kind of what has transpired. So I appreciate you adjusting your fund to be able to align with what you need for to do your business right versus what investors think they 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 want because that then it's a mismatch. So I'm I'm totally on board with that that philosophy and you know, I, I applaud you for, for doing it because you you definitely 
want to get people who work with you and you work with them. Not, not, not you know, some money comes with strings and you don't want those strings. So Yeah, yeah. We don't want people who are drunk off yield. <laughs> yeah, and then this whole the whole drunk off yield conversation is a dangerous discussion. Um, but of course, high interest rates environment for some folks who if you're letting oh, yeah, money, it's a lender market, of course. Of course, if you have the resources and the wherewithal to, you know, be a private lender and you know lend money out and earn sixteen percent, fifteen percent, take advantage of it. You know, um, it's it's just understanding it though is is important. Like, what do you have to do for that? What's the risk involved with that? Um, but for for us, we're thinking long term, right? We're not just thinking what's happening now. I mean, we're thinking ten years out. You know, what, where, what do we want in 10 years? What's our BHAG? Okay. What do we need to do in seven years to get there? Five years, three years, one year, this quarter, this week, what do we need to do? Right. So that's kind of how we look at it. And some of the things we need in order to achieve those goals are capital for a long term. So if we can attract those investors who understand our track record and, and our core values and align with our mission, we believe we will be successful in achieving it. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's hard for one. It's it's hard for all of us. In this environment, people don't want to hear, okay, I'm parking my money for the long term. It's all hey, I get money. it. I get it. In this environment, hey, uh, you know, folks are comfortable with keeping the money in the bank and get their five, five and a half percent and don't stress it. Hey, I'm an investor also, right? And I'm just not invested into one thing. I may have some short-term stuff. I get it. I may have some long-term stuff. I have a mixture of it because I have a long-term mindset. And if I know there's a good operator and a person who's going to stand tall when things go wrong and communicate and make it right, I don't have a problem investing with that person for three to five years. Well, it, it, it's 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 your diversified portfolio yeah. with Absolutely. enough cash, enough short duration assets, as well as long-term. And it's exactly, you know, if you follow a portfolio composition theory, folks should do exactly that. So yeah. it's just kind of the, the last few years uh, where well, well, the, the changes that have, have taken place has sort of shocked folks. And then the normal behavior, the long-term behavior has been both psychologically and, you know, physically, uh, physically adjusted, sort of impacted in a matter of speaking. So uh, let's continue. Any other interesting developments? Obviously, you're changing your fund and NG, um you are uh, you found a great asset in in in, in Georgia and uh, what else? Just any any other quick updates? We got a lot of a lot of exciting things going on with the fix and flips. So in New Jersey, we still do fix and flips. A lot of exciting things. Uh, I I I'm so glad that I'm a part of Collective Genius and I get to pull the wisdom from people who are so further advanced than me, and just all the tools, the resources, the the, the processes. We made a pivot two years ago to start to go more into high end. Uh, and I love it because New Jersey, as you know, there's a lot of money in New Jersey. And a $1.5 million house is nothing for a New Yorker who's coming over to buy a $1.5 million house. That's a two-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. <laughs> so, you know, so that, that's been great because we get to set ourselves apart from the guys who are just going and just doing retrofit, taking out the kitchen cabinets, putting new, taking out the vanities, changing the light fixtures without either you know, gutting the thing out and doing a fresh full renovation. So our gut re rehab uh, projects has been going very well, bringing quality projects to the market also on a luxury level, uh, giving those buyers uh, something that 
stands apart from the market because New Jersey has a 10-year homeowner warranty, right? So they buy a ground of construction, this, the, the builder has to provide them a 10-year warranty. So that's really what's setting us apart from the market that a buyer know I could buy something if something goes wrong within the next 10 years or a mechanical or foundation or roofing, you know, I can get it fixed. So we've been getting a lot of buyers putting things on the contract quickly because of that, right? So we're excited about that. I mean, those those two verticals alone, the, the multifamily rentals and the fix and flips are really good for us because it gives us that diversified structure to create a buffer and hedge against any market uncertainty. So I mean, we're not bulletproof, but you know, as the harder the market gets, the more it have us become creative and think out the box. So I love it. Yeah, I appreciate it. So the pivot to a little bit nicer properties. Did you have to change the market? I assume you have to change the markets where you work. So you moved probably from a little bit less expensive areas. Yeah, yeah from the low-income areas. So we were doing everything primarily in the low-income areas, the fix and flips and the rentals, all in the same uh, geographical area, low-income areas. So um, after COVID, those areas became super expensive and the profit margins decreased like immediately because it was a massive amount of people buying stuff, which drove prices 30% over list price and construction costs was up with materials. It was a, a whole bunch of different dynamics. And I'm looking at it and going, we have capital to compete with builders in, in A-class areas, right? We have the capital to do it, right? So why aren't we doing it, right? We were so stuck on... We want to do our impact project. Everything we want to do is going to be in a low-income area rentals and the buy and rehabs. So that way we are steadfast in our mission, developing this community with every and anything we touch. Then I had to look at it and go, you know, we still can create our impact. It doesn't have to be in New Jersey. Let's take that to the Southeast where we can do it on a bigger scale. And let's also bring up the fix and uh, flips, the buy and fix and sell product to a higher market. Right, so we can make more profit, do new construction, which is more predictable cost, and in the southeast, do our impact project where we can con continue our mission. So it took us about a year to kind of get the logistics and, and get it off the ground, but um, you know we have the processes, our SOPs, to tighten all that stuff up. And I appreciate the 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 slowness, right after. Second, third quarter of 2022, things got real slow for a very long time. And that gave us time to create operational efficiency, you know, go deeper. We did a, a, a liquidated one fund focused on one fund at, at one time. So we, we can go deep instead of wide. So um, now today we just have one vehicle and it's, it's just a great thing. You know, one vehicle to do K1s from and 1099s and everything else. <laughs> You're telling me? It's I, beautiful. Yeah, we're, we're on a family of funds. I know. I know how painful it is. It, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. If you can get everyone into a single. Uh, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. I had to call. But it took courage. I'm, I'm sure yeah. it took courage to make the change. Yeah. I mean, because you get used to it, right? And you perception is everything. So that that makes the mindset. So I had to tell myself. This is going to work, and here's why it's going to work, and here's why it's going to be beneficial for every investor in the fund. And I just picked up the phone, call myself, and start call myself and start making these calls. And I may have out of, I'll say, two hundred investors, I may have had one or two people go out. No, I want my money back. No problem. Here you go. Nice knowing you. So it happens, but I'm so glad that we made that pivot because 
Now we can go deep instead of wide, create operational efficiency. And I believe as we go through, we made that change second quarter of last year. I believe once we get to bottom and third quarter this year, everything will be much more organized and then we can start to get that traction that we need. Um, you know, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, I appreciate that explanation. And again, uh, applaud your courage to make the change and uh, certainly going to a bigger uh, dollar amount uh, creates, you know, make, makes, makes your life a lot easier and obviously a different community. And sounds like you pivoted to a lot more of ground up versus, I guess, fix and flips. Correct, yeah. yeah makes sense. All right. Um, all good things must come to an end, unfortunately. So does yeah. this, this, <laughs> this episode. Uh, appreciate you. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you? What's the uh, it's, it's been a plum pleasing pleasure. I always appreciate you know uh, talking to you, Mike. And if anyone wants to reach us, you can go to nngcapitalfund.com, nngcapitalfund.com. Check out what we have there. You can schedule a call to speak to me and learn more about what we do. Thank you, Fuquan. Appreciate your wisdom, your sharing, uh, your pivot, and uh, we'll continue the discussions and the journey together. So in many aspects. So it's great Absolutely. to be many masterminds with you and uh, enjoy uh, cold New Jersey. <laughs> I guess. Too, or New Jersey, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> awesome. Have a great day, man. You too. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.